Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. All right, we are here with a Tottenham update for those that haven't heard somehow. Tottenham have, in a less than 24-hour span, sacked Mauricio Pochettino and his entire backroom staff and brought in Jose Mourinho, and not Jose Mourinho's typical background staff, but a whole new one, which we'll discuss later. Also, for those wondering, if I sound a little iffy and sniffle and stuff, I am (laughs) sick, but this was far too important to just let slide by in the night, especially when we have myself and such a brilliant uh, Tottenham supporter as Steve Magookin, who is joining us. Um, I did want to start off, though, with a bit of a mea culpa disguised as a humble brag. So on the last EPL roundtable, I was asked if I thought Pochettino would go. And I mentioned that if there was a perfect time to sack Mauricio Pochettino, it was during this international break. Not only because you have time to sort all of the details out, you have time to get a manager in for the following weekend. You give that manager enough time to assess the squad through the end of December. That way he can make the right choices in January in terms of ins and outs. And also, a thing that I didn't mention, but was uh, excellently pointed out since, is that with the amount of big clubs that are currently in managerial crises, we had to beat them all to the punch if we wanted to get our target. So if you didn't think Pochettino was the long-term answer, if you thought that Mourinho was, now was the perfect time to strike. And that's what I was trying to, to iterate last uh, podcast was that the timing was perfect, but that I personally did not think it would happen. So I was wrong, but I was right. And that's where the divide is. But uh, Steve, I'll bring you in here. Of course, we mentioned in that brief intro, Pochettino has been sacked by Tottenham Hotspur after five and a half years, an absolutely heartbreaking tweet from uh, Jesus Perez, who was the assistant manager who posted his goodbye tweet with five blue hearts and one red broken one. Mm-hmm. Um, to signify the end of the season. But just initial reaction, why do you think that this sacking and, and divorce between a club and a manager that once seems so linked has happened? Yeah, well, I think you, you sort of hit the nail on the head there, Kevin, and timing is everything. Thank you very much, incidentally, for, for having me back on. It's very good to talk to you. It's been a while. And, you, you know, we, we, we always say, may you live in interesting times. And, uh, well, you know, if a week is a long time in politics, which we're experiencing now with these amazing uh, Trump impeachment hearings, then a year, really, when you think about it, is a very, very long time in football. And it was about a year ago that Pochettino was being linked with Mourinho's, uh, with being uh, the job of, of being Mourinho's successor at Manchester United. And, uh, and, and, you know, it just in that cycle, the cycle within the year, and I remember talking to you about it, and I said it was funny how when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer got the United job permanently, that that was actually a better day for us than it was for <laughs> United because yeah. it settled the pressure that, that would have come from United fans and the clamor to go and get Poch that would have definitely, you know, intensified if, if Ole's initial results 
uh, hadn't gone as, as well as they had. So, you know, what goes around comes around. We, as you say, the timing was probably right. If you, if you assume that the parting of the ways was going to be inevitable at some point, uh, then that is probably the best time to have done it. And we end up with the available one, uh, <laughs> a man who will absolutely <laughs> guarantee, us, guarantee us drama. He'll guarantee us drama, Kevin, uh, by his nature, by his very nature. He's a divisive figure and, and obviously a giant ego that we're going to have to accommodate. And, and it was interesting. Someone uh, tweeted today a, a quiz from The Guardian last year, and it was one of those um, who said it, Mourinho or Donald Trump quizzes. Oh, no. And every single quote could have been either of them. So it was very entertaining. I'd recommend uh, listeners to, to seek that out. It was in The Guardian or uh, tweeted from The Guardian today. But obviously, whatever, regardless of whatever you think about Mourinho and his public image, he's also a proven winner. You know, 25 trophies through his career, albeit now as the highest spending manager in football history. And it mm. was an interesting stat on, on Sky earlier that uh, Mourinho individually has spent more on transfers managing in England than uh, than Tottenham have since Levy since Daniel Levy took over yeah in two thousand one one yeah exactly I mean there's not there's not much between us I think you know Mourinho's total is uh, nine hundred twenty five million Tottenham's spending in the same period was eight hundred and seventy six million overall on the, in the in the Levy period but um, on paper you absolutely can't deny that success uh, but you know I, I suppose. Whatever budgets and targets might have been agreed, you know, high on the list of questions that the Spurs fans are going to be asking is, will Mourinho's style of play be what's required or what they expect or what they've come to appreciate uh, when the team was playing at its best under under Poch? And, you know, we in the in the way that we always do uh, when it comes to these kinds of crises, we have to decide whether. Uh, silverware is the be-all and end-all, or if it's about the nature of the club, if it's about incremental improvement in our squad, is it about learning from our mistakes and progressing year on year, and and basically at the end of the day delivering an entertaining product that that people want to watch, you know, and and because say whatever else you want, Kev, you know, as as you know, I've been supporting Spurs for over thirty years, and these past few seasons have been basically the happiest and proudest I've ever been as a fan. And when, yeah. when the team has clicked, it has absolutely been the best football as a team, you know, leaving aside some individual performances that, that I've ever seen us play. And we'll, we'll come back to this later. We'll come back to this later. Um, but I'll, I'll just say, you know, before we get on to talking about some of the memories that we had, um, I was talking earlier with my friend Patrick, who I go to games with and who's been on the pod with us before, about the best performances, the actual best performances, not the most memorable, but the best performances we personally wit witnessed under Poch. Uh, and he, he, he called up the Real Madrid game at home, and mine was... Yeah the 4-1 def uh, defeat of Liverpool at Wembley. And that, you know, that scoreline flattered them that day. And that was the best I've ever seen my team play in the flesh. But, and, and here's the interesting, if all too familiar aspect of that. And this is, I think, what uh, feeds into what we're talking about tonight. Um, immediately after that game, we, we went off the boil as if we'd you know, already scaled the heights we needed to. And, and we went on a, a run of what were decidedly ordinary performances. Klopp, on the other hand, took that defeat and saw what was needed and retooled his team's approach. And as I 
remember they they went on something of a, a tear in the league immediately afterwards. And so that's something that's still something that above everything else we've always grasped for and strived for, which is consistency. And it's also, you know, significant that, you know, Liverpool have been very often been the team we've most been compared with uh, in terms of year on year progression, Um, you know, since our coaches had started their respective projects uh, within a year or so of each other. But, you know, as for what happened and the way it happened, it's wrong to characterize it as a surprise, I suppose. I mean, this is likely, you you know, you, you know as much as I do. Uh, likely been in the works for for some time. A suggestion was at least three weeks. Uh, plus, you had the, the the added complication of the international break and, and getting all the logistics in place. And as you said, as you said in the intro, you don't you don't just click your fingers and a complete backroom staff materializes in a matter of hours. So, um, you know, what what has happened is probably was probably inevitable, Kev. It was probably inevitable given. The, the, the trajectory that we're on, but I can't help but being left with this overwhelming sense of sadness about unfulfilled potential. You know, the idea that the team made fans fall in love with it again. And, and that, to a certain extent, was was enough to assuage a lack of trophies. But but obviously, when it was clear that we weren't moving forward, we, we weren't even treading water, then something had to give and i think i think your point about the timing of of this uh, is absolutely crucial so uh, the end of an era the start of another one uh, i'm i'm left with this overwhelming sadness uh, but mm. you know let's see how we go the the club endures yeah i think uh, <clears throat> the sadness definitely took place for most spurs supporters and i also think it's one of the reasons why it was so crucial that the new hire be appointed so quickly. I personally am annoyed that I don't really get a sense uh, uh, or like a period of time to mourn uh, Pochettino's departure, but I'm 100% sure that's why this turnaround was so fast, um, was to prevent that, prevent questions being asked, to prevent anger. (laughs) Now we're just in confusion, but I think it it prevented that. So to break down what actually happened for those that don't know, for me, I think this all started, and I'm not the only one to, to have come up with this idea, of course, um, was that the beginning of the end was when Pochettino joked about leaving right before the Champions League final. And he said that if he won, he would leave, which he joked about. It was very clearly a joke in his first press conference. But then when he was pressed about it in further press conferences, he like got more and more serious at one point saying that he wasn't joking. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether that was to... I don't know what that was for, <laughs> to be honest. Maybe motivate... Does that motivate the players? Probably not, because they don't want to see their manager go. Um, maybe to put kind of the onus on uh, Levy and company that if we won, they'd have to do something like up the transfer budget or something to try to keep him. But even in jest or in a serious manner, once you've considered leaving, it's impossible to unthink that thought. Yeah. And once he said it, he it was in his mind. Once he said it, it was in Levy's mind, again, citing the fact that this move didn't happen overnight, Mourinho and his whole back staff being available. And it had to affect the players as well. Because uh, you and I messaged uh, as soon as that happened, uh, the sacking happened, that the, the, the team has almost always reflected Pochettino as a person. When he first came in, energetic, high press, super dedicated, super committed, and now... We're just kind of lost, aimless, unenergetic, 
And it reflects Pochettino, who on the touchline has looked exactly like our play has. Mm-hmm. Just That's uninvested, great. uninvolved, didn't want to be there. Mm-hmm. And you hear all the stories about the, the players not wanting to be there. And, and obviously lo- loads of fans were upset that we let Pochettino go. But did he look like he wanted to stay to you? Well, uh, that was the interesting thing. And, and just to go back to your point about the Champions League final, there was a very real sense, I think, that, that we were talking about the end of a project, that if we had for you know somehow won the Champions League that year, and, and we can come back and talk about that later, I mean, just the very fact that we managed to make it to the final was both a signal of how well we were pulling together through that campaign, but also how much we were overachieving. We overachieved during that year, uh, especially coming off the uh, the transfer window, the the blank transfer window, basically. Two of them. Yeah, two of them. That's right. But uh, you know, th- this idea that there was an arc that ended with success. Uh, if he had won the Champions League, that yes, that would have been the perfect time for him to leave, actually, uh, and move on to something else. And and in a way, that plays into his inability to, um, how he must have been feeling about his inability to, to stop the rot in the current, um, the, our current league form. Because the, the longer it went on, the longer or the harder it would have been for him to justify that diminution in his reputation. So there was a sense that, you know, if he couldn't turn this around, anything that he had achieved the previous year by getting us to where we were uh, would have been undermined. Um, because again, it goes back to this thing about consistency. We, we, we have to demonstrate, he has to be able to demonstrate consistency. And the thing was, we were, we were performing so poorly this year with basically what was the same group of players, you know, from, from last season. So yeah, I, I, you're, that was a very good point about, um, reflecting his personality and the idea that, um, uh, you know, know, him on the sidelines looked as lackluster and disconnected um, uh, as we as we appeared on the field. So yes, I, I agree with you there. But uh, but yes, I, I think seeing it in the context of here's my project, here's what I set out to achieve. If I achieve it, that's the time to actually go and move on. And and I, I don't think I think we were kidding ourselves if we ever thought that he was going to build a dynasty here. You know. But I'd be interested in what you thought about that. I think I think I bought it. I think I drank the Kool Aid in that respect. When he always, you know, we, when we talked about if Pochettino would leave for Manchester United, which you yeah. could argue was the actual turning point, because it was after that job was secured that our league form dipped with that Burnley loss and everything following it. Also right. mirrored the injury to both Kane and Deli Ali. So, you know, let's let's well, let's have see, a little correlation instead of causation there. But yeah, but also, I mean, just just thinking along those lines, if he if we had won the Champions League and he had left, if he had said, right, this is what I've achieved uh, as part of this project, I don't think he would have managed anywhere else in England. Agreed. Whereas now, now I'm it's not less so, certain. So sure. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, so then, off the back of all of this, um, there were crunch meetings with Pochettino earlier in the week um, where he said he wasn't willing to resign. Um, and allegedly, this is this is the iffiest part of everything we're going to talk about today because I've seen it from very few places. But allegedly, Levy was willing to give Pochettino one more chance against West Ham. Mm-hmm. He said, basically, if you win, you're in. 
anything else and you're out. And I guess kind of echoing Sari's point at Chelsea, if you're intending on sacking me, why does one match matter? Right, exactly. exactly. Like if there's like a VAR call that goes against us, does that mean that he's not worth keeping? But if they had given it to us, then he is. So that's well, also you don't you don't know what if if that was true, you don't know what went alongside it. It wasn't basically saying, well, if you win against West Ham, here's your transfer budget for the for the right. window. It's right? here's your job until the next time we're worried yeah. about it. Exactly. Yeah. So, so if if that's true again, that is the biggest piece of speculation that will be in this whole episode. Mm-hmm. Um, if if that's what's happened, then it makes sense. Uh, also, if he refused to resign and refused to take this offer of staying on through the West Ham match, that must be why it uh, again speculative uh, is why he was formally sacked. He was let go. It was no mutual parting. It was not Pochettino is moving on to bigger and better things, and we'll search for a candidate. He was sacked. Make no, no mistake about that. Um, and yes, so he wasn't willing to, to resign to avoid all of that in the end, financially, uh, over 12.5 million pounds are going to be paid to Mauricio Pochettino and his support staff, um, making it (laughs) our fourth most expensive signing of the summer, uh, and indeed over the last two years. Um, so, uh, that's, that's, uh, not, not ideal, but. Uh, as you mentioned in the intro, I, I do want to cycle back to to the good times because it's so easy to get caught in the last twelve months, which in in you know well, well twenty nineteen in particular, and the Premier League was awful. Obviously, the Champions League run incredible. You could attribute some of those poor Premier League performances to the fact we were focusing on the Champions League, which you can't really argue with the record. But instead of looking at that short term, what's happened lately? I, I wanted to look back on some of the the good times with Mauricio Pochettino. And you mentioned that you you felt proud of the club during his tenure. And in his introductory interview, that's what he said he wanted to do. He didn't say, I'm going to win trophies. He didn't say, I'm going to turn Harry Kane into a world-class striker. Or (laughs) Deli Ali, this random kid from MK Dons, into a world beater. For a time, now he's kind of not. Let's see if he gets back there. But he, he turned the defense into something that was incredible where we didn't what was it that we didn't concede at home in white hart lane the final season yeah no i think we conceded we didn't lose though for sure and we had the best defense in the league that was the year we had literally the best attack statistically and the best defense statistically and still didn't win it we lost to jose Mourinho, but we'll get to that later (laughs) but he he wanted us it was literally the first thing he said as tottenham hotspur manager was he wanted to make us proud of our club again and he certainly did that Yep, uh, absolutely right. Uh, and and there were many games where things just clicked, things just sort of fell into place, and you could tell that we were uh, we were world beaters. We could we could beat anybody on that on that particular day. Uh, yeah, I mean that that Liverpool game that I mentioned uh, in the intro uh, that that is definitely the um, the game the, the game that I was at that I will most stay with me about this era. Um, but uh, games that, that I've watched on TV, everybody obviously is going to point to the Champions League run and they're going to talk about the Ajax game. That was so, in a way, that was so surreal that I, <laughs> I sort of found it um, weird to think of, of our club doing that. Hmm. Uh, in, in a strange way, the game that will stand out for me um, from, from the whole Champions League run is the second leg against Manchester City when... Hmm. Uh, you know, it, it, you weren't expecting anything out of it, and you got everything, everything in that in that game. Especially after how it started. We went down within five minutes. You know? I was like, oh, here we go again. 
I know, of course, and that was that was just insane. It was an insane game, and you want insane games. And this is this is the whole thing about well, you know, I would I would rather lose five four than I, you know, I'm old enough to remember the famous five and. Uh, you know, Jerry Francis and Ozzy Ardiles's approach to, to management. Um, you would rather lose 5-4 than, than sort of eke out a, a boring nil-nil draw. And we certainly mm. we certainly had more than our fair share of excitement. I mean, certainly, you know, the, the London derbies, a couple of the London derbies uh, come to mind, uh, especially the 2-1 the, the against Arsenal, uh, you know, the, with Harry Kane's header. You know, oh that, yeah, that where they refused to cover him on set pieces, which seemed ill-advised. <laughs> I thought you were going to bring up the the uh, hockey mask curler from oh, dang, yes, dang near the corner. Wasn't that a beauty as well? But then again, you see that this is the thing again: consistency. We don't have a psychological advantage over any, or we didn't. Let's put it this way: we didn't have a psychological advantage over any of our London rivals. Really, when you get right down to mm. it, whenever we played Arsenal, whenever we played Chelsea. It could have gone either way, and us being Spurs fans naturally expected it to not <laughs> go our way. But um, you know, there, there, there were some some classic games against Arsenal and Chelsea, uh, and and Man City as well in in, in recent terms as were well. Were the ones that broke up uh, Guardiola's unbeaten run? Ex- exactly. Yes, that was actually that was my or another one that my friend Patrick pointed to as well. So yeah, no, absolutely we. Again, it comes back to this notion of consistency, the idea that we can be we can be brilliant for 90 minutes against anybody. Uh, and, uh, and, and conversely. Then, <laughs> exactly. And then, and then we can be against, you know, a team that we would be expected to 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 beat on any given day. We can just blow it completely. And this is what this is what the hashtag Spursy actually stands for. You know, it's. <laughs> what it means yeah Pochettino did his best to absolve us of that label especially with that Champions League run and we would have been hit with it if other clubs hadn't sucked even worse at the back half of last season (laughs) allowing us to get back into the Champions League but they sure did exactly right but certainly I mean that that uh the final I mean my goodness the final I watched it with the Dublin Spurs supporters Mm -hmm. club at the Tom which was their last I have to throw this in here that was their last uh uh, gathering in in that particular pub and oh, no. uh, it, it'll be missed yeah they've moved on to a different pub now but uh yeah so that that uh, overwhelming memory of the champions league run was how we had the audacity to to achieve results that nobody expected us to achieve especially after and and you and I I think I think I was on the pod shortly after the second PSV game mm. uh in the group stage and, and we were saying, well, you know, <laughs> I even got to the point where I said, well, yeah, Finish I don't fourth. want to be, <laughs> I don't want to be in the, in the Europa league. It'll just be too much of a distraction. Um, but uh, you know, as I say, each individual game, you never knew what you were going to get. And that was our problem. Our problem was this, this lack of consistency, this lack of belief in ourselves that we could, that we could turn that on. Hmm. Like, like uh, our successes always felt like chance. Like yeah. it didn't feel like it was repeatable. It didn't feel like we'd learned something. It was just like this time we got lucky. Next time we won't. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But having said that, when it all clicked, when it all fell together, we were as good as any team in the league, well, regardless of their position. You know what performance <clears throat> was better, and is very frequently overlooked in our Champions League last round. Our best performance was not City. 
It was not Ajax. It was our entire dismantling of the then running away with the Bundesliga title, Borussia Dortmund. Mm-hmm. Who mm-hmm. we absolutely played off the pitch in both legs. The second That's- one, we only won 1-0, but that was pretty flattering to them. We we were threatening that entire match, basically as soon as Kane got a chance, he scored. But that uh, it has to be the Vertonghen game. With the assist and then the header for the... Oh, it wasn't a header. It was a volley, wasn't it? Yeah. He ran right. onto Ori's cross. <laughs> Just that that was an, an insane moment. Um, and there were so many. You mentioned the, the London derbies. The 4-2 against Chelsea. That was mm-hmm. when I was convinced that Kane was going to be world-class. In a single play, he ran past Matic, turned John Terry, and then uh, scored in between the legs of Courtois for the goal. At a time when that was not a thing, when they were like the defensive stalwarts of the league, and he single-handedly was just like, "Yeah, I'm just gonna dribble through all of you and then score." Hope that's fine. Nasser Chadley, I believe, scored in that goal. Man, I miss that guy. Um, but so moments like that, we mentioned a few of the the Arsenal matches there that really stick in the memory. Um, just just so many great memories. Personal highlight for me. A uh, very obscure match that people probably don't remember. 4-0 against Bournemouth at White Hart yes. Lane. I actually got to go and see Pochettino on the touchline work his magic. I got to see Son not check back to uh, Harry Kane, who was running free in the box uh, with a bet on we, him. We got to go together, which was uh, the first game that we'd, we'd been to together for a long time. And yep. um, Ganson scored. Dembele and, scored. And Weird goal saying, scores. Ganson's goal. I'm I'm really glad his Mexican adventure is working out for him. But um, yeah. uh, oh, the, one other that I, I have to drop in, uh, which uh, you know sticks with me for so many different reasons, not just what happened on the field, but the uh, the, the last game at the Lane against Man U. Oh. Uh, you know, I was there, and it was just, it was such an emotional day. The rain, you know, the, the 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 everybody coming out and waving, and Potch coming out and waving, and oh my goodness, it felt like the beginning what, of an era. Even though it was the it, middle of one, it felt that way, didn't it? It really felt that way, and uh, and that's in a way this this sort of lack of being able to build on that on that feeling uh, that we tolerate disappointment the way we do. And I mean, I, I know it's it's in our nature as Spurs fans, Kev, as you as you know. And I apologize for introducing you to the uh, to the <laughs> as it were, but but it's you know it, it, you really got a sense that this was. We're moving on from something historic to build something historic, and then mm. we weren't able to. Yeah. Um, then, aside from the personal highlights, which I probably should have ordered the other way, <clears throat> we have to talk about his development of yeah. youth prospects from Mason and Bentaleb, Kane, Delhi, Winks. <laughs> if you want to throw Erickson, if you want to throw in all of the wingbacks that were mediocre that he turned into elite. Yeah. Super shame he wasn't able to do it with Ori and Davis, but. You know, you can't do it literally every time. And I'm sure Welsh fans are delighted with what Ben Davis has become. Um, but really? neither have really done the business for us. Well, Davis had that one really good year when Rose was kind of injured and, and out of the team. But but what he was able to do with young talent was incredible. Yeah. And because of that, I think he was the perfect manager for where we were. He was the perfect manager for the signings we were trying to to bring in. He was the perfect manager with the perfect vision for where we were. How do we get from where we were, which was Tim Sherwood, if people will recall, um, in a sixth place finish, sixth or seventh? I think it was sixth because we stayed in the Europa League, so it must have been. Um, how do we get from there 
to being in the top four. We weren't talking about how do we get our team to be title contenders. We we didn't we didn't dare to do that much. Right. Uh, <laughs> if you'll pardon the phrase. Um, but then Mauricio Pochettino came in with these young players, developed them, grew them together, fixed the defense, unleashed Harry Kane on the entire gosh darn world. He was perfect at getting this kind of group of underappreciated, looked down upon, air quote, spursy losers, and turned them into something meaningful that could threaten any side. Tottenham, throughout their history, have been able to challenge big teams on the right day. Yeah, of course. We can always raise our game. The problem is keeping our game raised for teams in the bottom floor. Exactly. But it got better. Like, we, we lost, what, three games? Yeah. The, the Chelsea year, the year that they won? Or was that the Leicester year? Hard to remember. In uh, all of those years when opposing fans were saying we were playing the best football they'd seen all year. Yes, but, but also at the same time, look at our record home and away against the other teams in the top four. It has been poor in Pochettino's it, tenure, it has inarguably. Been, yeah. so, your, your point about the young players is absolutely spot on, and I think that's, that's a, a perfect point to, to sort of delve into a little bit. And I thought it was interesting that in the first official statement – uh, from the club that uh, about Mourinho uh, or Mourinho uh, with a quote from Mourinho, he talks about um, uh, you know the quality in our in our academy and the young players coming through and and whether whether he's able to to bring players like Troy Parrott uh, uh, through into the into the first team, whether he has any interest in doing that uh, really remains remains to be seen. But uh, but I think your point is very well taken that, that Poch was exactly the sort of manager in terms of developing those talents uh, and giving them an opportunity. Um, Oliver Skips, another one, obviously, that, uh, you know, is knocking on the door. And we, 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 uh, we would be foolish to, um, to turn our backs on, on players like that. But it is going to be interesting to see how a new manager, uh, and, and particularly this new manager, um, uh, treats the, the 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 new players or the young players coming through, and uh, that's ju- going to be just as interesting, I think, as as how he treats you know players like Jan and Toby mm-hmm. and, and Delhi and Christian Eriksen, and you know whether the players who are out of contract, whether he can persuade them to renew, uh, even if you know they might not be part of his long term plans. So you know there's there's a challenge for him on both fronts, I think there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's and I and I think it's interesting, you know, that everybody's made a, a big deal of the fact that, that Delhi uh, did that tweet, that very emotional tweet about about Potch. Mm-hmm. I think, um, uh, and 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 then the the official uh, club Twitter was was at pains today uh, on the first training session to show pictures of uh, Mourinho and Delhi uh, during training, and I think that relationship with Delhi in particular. Is going to be is going to be indicative of where uh, of where Mourinho takes the squad. I think. Yeah. In the so <clears throat> I'd agree. Your point is, is very well made about about Pochettino being exactly the right manager for that group of players. And again, At it comes time. back. Yeah. yeah, it comes back to you know a lot of people will say, well, he took us as far as we as, as we could go. He. I would say he took that group of players as far as they could go. Hmm. Let's see what someone else can do now, and, and, and it's time to you know it's time to shake it up and see see what someone else can do with what is an obviously talented, if disrupted, group of players. Yeah, I think I think that's an excellent point, and I agree. When when people keep saying, like you said, that Pochettino has taken this group as far as they can go, 
I never read into that as we'll never go higher than second in the league or we'll never actually win the Champions League. I always viewed it exactly like you said, as a developmental block, not a accomplishment block. (laughs) Pochettino knows how to take players that lack ego, high level of talent, but aren't really ego-driven players. He knows how to get them to fight for him, fight for each other, fight for the supporters, fight for the club. That's why we all felt that unity, top to bottom, as he knew how to engender that. But I genuinely think once, and many people have said he's the victim of his own success. He raised the bar so high that he wasn't able to leap it, etc. But another way in which that's the case is he made these players so good that there are now egos and conflicting interests. Do I want to do my best here? Do I want to not? Do I want to move away? All that stuff. All that stuff is there only because he made them as good as they are, but he didn't seem to be able to push them further. We even saw in some of the preseason stuff, some of the players saying that they didn't feel like these methods would get any more out of the team. That mm. because of that, he resorted to doing video training, where he would watch from inside as Jesus Perez was running training. Mm. And that's mm. where some of the split happened. And the, there was an article, I don't remember who it was from, so I don't know if it was reputable or not, but referred to the players referring to Pochettino as Big Brother, because he was mm. always watching them on the cameras and stuff like yeah. that. <laughs> so I, I think the players felt like Pochettino couldn't take them any further, and then that kind of drastic action kind of leads you to believe that Poch didn't know how to take them any further. And so I think that's how we should view that statement. Not that Pochettino couldn't have achieved more. He could have. We should have. We were in multiple semifinals and finals. We probably should have won something. We were a better team than teams that won things over that stretch, including those managed by the guy we're about to talk about. But but he wasn't able to push us past that barrier. So how do you get stars to perform together? Exactly. Enter. Yeah, very often the the quote is about Pochettino. Well, if you couldn't, if you can't play for this man, if you can't play with the loyalty and the devotion and the passion that this man has shown for the club, if you can't play for him, you know who who can you play for? Mm. But I think an awful lot of it, Kev, goes back to, uh, and we've talked a little bit about the the the, um, the transfer windows where we didn't bring anybody in, and mm. and there's a. A double-edged sword, obviously, that goes along with that. Because on the one hand, you know, you're saying it's a vote of confidence in your starting eleven, if not your whole squad. It's a vote right. of confidence in your starting eleven that says uh, we don't think we can go out and get another player who is better than you at your position, right? Mm. So essentially, that's what we were saying. And if you if you looked at our if you looked at our team from one through eleven, we were as good as any team in the Premier League. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt. Yeah, inarguably, we, uh, we were the best team over a three-year stretch. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist. 
specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Where we were always better than the teams that jumped because Chelsea were horrible and then won a title. Leicester won a title and then were horrible and City weren't good yet. So there was a three-year stretch where... Of those three years, we were consistently the best team in the league. Yes. No, I, I agree with that. Absolutely, hands down. But then the other side of that sword, the double edge of that sword, was... Then why didn't you win? Yeah, you bring in the, uh, this sense of complacency that there's nobody pressuring you for your starting position. That we basically were saying, well, you're, you're what we've got. You're in your position. You're the player we have. We believe in you, uh, but at the same time, we're not going to put any put you under any pressure for your position. And I, I think we suffered inevitably as a, as a result of that. So, you know, you, it's obviously, you know, 2020 hindsight now is a great thing. And you could say, well, what we needed to do was bring in some players to actually shake the squad up and, and challenge for places. But and then we signed uh, them and they were all hurt. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, with, with all of that said, that was the Pochettino era. The mm-hmm. king is dead. Long live the king. Jose Mourinho, of course, coming in. Uh, as we mentioned kind of at the top, Pacha's sacking was very clearly not the beginning of this process. Yep. We, within 12 hours, had replaced him with Mourinho. Within 24 hours, had an entire backroom staff for Mourinho, pulled from Lille, which we will get into in a second. <clears throat> but with how quickly it happened... I just wanted to break down a little a little bit of timelining. So, in uh, last year, if you'll recall, one of the opening matches at the new stadium was the Inter Legends versus Tottenham's Legends. Mm-hmm. Who was the manager for Inter Legends? I'll give you a hint. He's the actual Tottenham manager now. Ah. <laughs> so, he was there then. They oh, practiced cool. at the training facilities. Yeah. So, he was already around. Just yeah. want to make that clear. He yeah. also appeared at two random matches this season when people were like, mm, what are you doing here, Jose? Yeah, that, and, the, the, the cover of uh, being an analyst for Sky Sports. Exactly. Always, yeah. <laughs> it was pretty convenient. And so I, I wanted to highlight these two points because I don't know if people remember this, but when Jurgen Klopp went to Anfield when he was with Dortmund, mm-hmm. he mentioned that being in that stadium is what convinced him he wanted to go there. So, if you're an out-of-work manager, you want to be in the Champions League, you want to be in London, you spend a week at our training facility, and then the weekend in our new stadium. It does not have the history of Anfield. It is literally less than a year old. But I think it's very easy to connect some of those dots Mm -hmm. in terms of where his mind may have been at. This, This isn't Levy yet, who we cannot say when interest was ignited on his side. But what we can say is that well, it wasn't yesterday. No, well, no, and and you put that uh, in the context of you know Levy's relationship with Mourinho goes back uh, uh, many many years. Tried to sign him twice before, leaving Porto and leaving Chelsea. 
Exactly. Yeah. So that, that's conditioned by the fact that, you know, Levy has obviously wanted him for a long time. Mourinho knows that. And so, uh, you know, it's essentially, as you say, it's joining those dots when really there are only two dots. Uh, but obviously the proof of that relationship is going to be in the performances, the results, the extent to which um, he gets the backing of, of Levy um, and, and how that manifests itself in terms of um, spending uh, on players in, in the January window and beyond. So, yes, I mean, it's a, it's a, long, it's a long story. Uh, and in a way, that part of the story would be happening regardless of whether Pochettino was our manager or whether it was somebody else. Um, so, you know, yeah. Yeah, so this, this has, you know, in theory been brewing a long time. In terms of Pochettino leaving and being replaced by Mourinho, that's that's the time scale that, you know, question mark. When when did that interest first peak right. on the Tottenham side? Right. Um, my guess is the draw with Arsenal right before the international break the first time, mm-hmm. uh, the 2-2. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but at that point, we were still looking pretty good on the table, so there have been reports that it was actually the Newcastle loss right after that break. Yeah. Um, but regardless, at some point, we started looking. Mourinho was available. There had been previous contact on his side. As you mentioned, Levy's tried over a decade. Two decades? Almost two decades um, to try to bring him in. So, in the end, that's not what's surprising. Obviously, the surprise is, you know, a manager of his stature, but also reputation, both sides of that coin, being selected by Daniel Levy, a manager that has spent so much for his success, and whether or not he can replicate that, which is why I think... A lot of people are talking about how he needs to revolutionize, how he needs to keep up with Klopp and Guardiola, but I actually think he needs to return to roots a little bit, but I'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, But uh, I think, obviously, this makes a statement from Levy and Enoch that we are trying to win with this group. If we had gone after Eddie Howe or Julian Nagelsmann or Rodgers, some people said we actually inquired, some people say we didn't. If you were looking to start a new five-year process, like the one we just exited, bring in youth, develop them. I mean, you look at Leicester right now with Tielemans and Harvey Barnes and, and all their young players. Uh, Chilwell, who we were interested in for like two years and decided to not go for because Danny Rose was so great. Whoops. And James Madden, of course. <laughs> yeah, a, a, who also we know. almost signed it from Norwich, but we wouldn't loan back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but that could have been the plan. Bring in Nagelsmann, bring in young Germans, bring in Rodgers, bring all of his Leicester Englishmen's. Um, mm. bring in Eddie Howe, you know, maybe we finally bring in Callum Wilson, who Poch has wanted literally his entire career. Right. Um, we could have done that. We could have started a new process where you have Erickson, Toby, and Jan, they're all on the way out. Hugo's 32 and has a broken elbow. Rose wants to stay, but we don't want him. Ore wants to go, but we keep him. All of these players, if we're starting a whole new process, they're jettisoned into the sun, right? right. Then you have Kane, Delhi, Sun. Davinson at the back, Winks and Dyer in midfield. Yep. And, and that's your that's your core. You add to it, but that's your young core. But yep. what has clearly been chosen is that we are going to capitalize as much on possible on this squad we have right now. A hiring in November is, guess what? A whole yep. month before the FA Cup starts. Yep. So if yep. you're trying to win an FA Cup, we're we're likely to go through in the Champions League. Going to knock on wood on that. I think we still have to beat Olympiacos or have results fall our way. Yep. 
Um, I'm assuming we're going to lose to Dortmund or to uh, Bayern, who allegedly are interested in Pochettino, which would make that the quickest, most insane matchup I've ever seen with my own two eyes. Um, That we think we can win with this group. And Levy's gambling that if we win with this group, we can convince some of them to stay because Mourinho wants older players. Yes. This is not the beginning of a new youth revolution at Tottenham. It was never going to be with Mourinho. You mentioned that he he mentioned the youth academy. And I largely am chalking that off as a whole bunch of nonsense because Chelsea's (laughs) academy is arguably the best in the country. And the Manchester United one has produced... Rashford and uh, McTominay, who uh, you could debate whether how, how good you think he is, but he's in that group. Lingard is like 30, but everybody thinks he's 25. But they've had players come through there. Yeah, Not as good as Chelsea's academy, but to say he hasn't been at clubs where the youth structure was good enough is a little insane. A little, a little by the Tottenham fans onside. Um, but that is not the group that he was hired for. He was hired to wring out the last drips of potential success out of this current side, many I of whom could leave. Agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. I and and the first thing he has to do is fix that back four. And if he can't get Jan and Toby and and that the rest of that back four working, then it's going to frustrate him. Uh, you know, from before he even starts. Um, so yes, I, I totally agree with you. I think this win now proposition. Uh, is you know he's got a three-year contract. Whether he's shockingly he's actually, long, by the way. Well, whether he's actually here at the end of three years, he will knows. not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but um, but yeah, I mean the only way we're going to turn that win now proposition into reality is to is to fix the defense. Yeah, totally agree. But interestingly, he tried to sign two of them. Exactly. He tried to sign both Toby Alderweireld. And Danny Rose. You expand that to the rest of the squad. He tried to sign Eric Dyer, Deli Ali, and of course there were rumors about Harry Kane. But saying a manager is interested in Harry Kane is uh, <laughs> maybe not hard to guess. <laughs> um, but this is a manager that was interested in a glut of our current squad. And I also found it very interesting in the first training session video of the people that the video showed him talking to and also weirdly caressing Three of them, <laughs> Deli Ali, yeah. Eric Dyer, Harry yeah. Kane, the yeah. English trio that yeah. is supposed to revolutionize this Tottenham side and that I'm sure he's thinking he can get the best out of. The weird absentee of that is Harry Winks. Not really yeah. sure how he hits into, fits into Mourinho's formation. So <laughs> I figured we should also try and talk about the players that this benefits. Obviously, all of those players, Dyer, Rose, Toby, Erickson, or Deli, arguably Kane, Mourinho wanted all of them. Yep. You have to imagine they get a chance. We have to have that holding midfielder, the Matic, um, in this team. Dyer's going to get first swing at that. Mm-hmm. Pretty, yep. pretty inarguable. He wanted to pay fifty million for Eric Dyer. Think about Eric Dyer's stature at the club right now. He wanted yeah. to pay fifty million pounds for Eric Dyer, and we said <laughs> no. That's okay. <laughs> so I he's know, right? he's going to get a shot. Yeah. So in a four three three, my yep. guess. Of his ideal 11, not all of them are fit, not all of them are favored right now, would be Hugo, Aurier, Toby, Jan, Rose, Dyer as the base of a three with Ndombele and Allier Eriksson, 
the other yep. one on right wing because he does that dumb tens playing right wing thing. Although he never really had a great one. He had Willian, of course. At United, right. he usually played Mata or Lingard there, neither of whom are wingers. So my guess is to get both creators on the pitch, if Erickson's staying, you put Erickson on the right wing because he can cross the ball in theory. That's his player ID, but he hasn't been good at it for like two years. <laughs> then obviously Kane and Son. So my guess is those are the players that thrive the most. Players on the fringes. Winks, because I don't think he really fits any of those molds. Maybe he becomes the Herrera, the distributor from midfield. But And I, I love Harry Winks, and I love that he came through, and I love his game. But there's not Absolutely. a thing he's better than Ndombele at. I, th- I think I agree with you and everything you said so far. I think Ndombele is the key. Here, mm. because he's gonna uh, he's gonna want to see how Ndombele plays against a range of different oppositions. But yeah. like you, I as you know, and any time I've been on here, I've sung Harry Winks's praises. Yeah. I think his distribution is fantastic. I think his work rate is is second to none. I think his enthusiasm, his work rate and stamina are better than Ndombele's. That Abs- I should I should point right. that out. Absolutely right. So I I think yes, there's there's a difference in character i think there but only because we don't know what uh what what the requirements are of Ndombele against different opponents so yeah. um but i i think it's a it's a good problem to have kev to be honest at the moment but you're absolutely right i think those two positions are going to be absolutely key uh and then you have the interchangeability of uh you, you know son mura lamella uh he's going to love lamella Lamella's going to be the new Herrera, where everyone's going to be like, how are you so technically gifted, but also such a bleep? (laughs) Well, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, that that is the one thing you you have to, regardless of whatever you think about Mourinho's general style of play and and the whole bus parking episodes and, and, and whatever, you know, went on. You have to assume that you know he does his homework when it comes to who we're actually playing against. I mean, just as just as Potch would have done, but yeah. uh, has a, a much more sophisticated way of laying the team out to get the required result from uh, from from the whoever it is we happen to be playing. Yeah. So, yeah, but I think you I think you you hit the nail on the head there, uh, Kev. That that uh, midfield two. Um, Winks or three, and, or or three. Well, well, if you if you take Dyer as oh a, oh right 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 as the, always yeah. the base because Wanyama's a little past it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. No, just take Dyer as a, as a given. Uh, then those other two sort of midfield positions are absolutely going to yeah. be absolutely crucial to how we move forward. Also, uh, while we're talking about the midfield, Sissoko only got a chance because he proved to Pochettino how much he cared about him and the club. Yeah, I don't know how that plays with Mourinho. Right. <laughs> we will see. And we've been trying to use Sissoko as the defensive part of a pivot with Ndombele. Mm-hmm. And he's just not that. Um, right. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> All right. Yeah, I'll live. You got um, <laughs> Or I won't. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> or, yeah. Who, who can tell? And the, and the other, uh, just talking about the back four as well, the other mm. uh, wild card to throw into the, the mix, of course, is Ryan Sessegnon. You know, when whenever he's... Yeah. Who United were chasing for a time. Well, well, that exactly, exactly. So, you know, there is a there is a crossover, as you say, in terms of who the the, the players that we have now, who Mourinho thinks are his type of players, uh, regardless of whether he's actually expressed a formal interest in them in the past. Uh, obviously, bodes well, I think, for 
uh, how he can reorganize the the defense particularly but the team as a whole yeah and i will say um he very heavily wanted eric baye who is a super talented center back been horribly injury prone his development stalled be- yeah. largely because of injuries one of the reasons why Mourinho wanted toby so badly Devin Sanchez, pretty similar ID. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Has played a lot more, been a lot less injury prone. Literally doesn't know where attackers are behind him at any point. <laughs> but if he could work that out, he's one of the best face-up defenders um, right. in the Premier League. But man, his spatial awareness is not great. But that's a hyper-talented center back. But I mentioned with Pochettino, and, and then you mentioned as well, that he was the perfect manager for where we were at the time. Here is a young squad, one of the youngest in the Premier League, if people will recall. We are not that anymore. Right now, 11 of our 31 players listed on our Premier League squad, of course, because you can have youngsters involved as well. 11 of 31 is how many of our players are 25 and under. <clears throat> Only six of them touched the first team. Yeah. yeah. This is now an older squad <laughs> that is currently peaked. Yeah. So now you have to bring in somebody that can push past that. And that's why I think, despite all of the insanity, that Jose Mourinho could be the right hire. Have I seen all the memes about how everybody talking themselves into Mourinho is in the denial stage? Yes, of course. (laughs) (laughs) But if he can get the most out of these players as they're getting older, I really think we could see something special. Even if it's a short period. Even if all these players leave. Still have a chance in the FA Cup. Still have a long chance at the Champions League. <clears throat> but there's a chance we could do something of importance before this whole thing crumbles. Or yes. either we we win and can convince people or we lose. Do you think there's... Uh, I'll ask it this way. How much does the needle move on the potential long-term extensions of Jan, Toby, or Erickson? Uh Yes, I, I think in... The context of this win now proposition, I think it's crucial. I think they're absolutely crucial because, you know, if you're talking about something like bringing in Bruno Fernandes, for example, uh, and that's one of the speculations, speculation about one potential new signing, I think we can't even move towards that until we know what's happening with, you know, the, the players who are running their contracts down. And it, it depends also whether that's part of the brief. Is that, you know, Levy's brief to, to Mourinho is get these guys to extend uh, by another year with, the, with the, the carrot of playing for you um, and essentially maintain their value, maintain their value on the transfer market for another, for another season. And then, you know, we'll take it from there. But I, I think you're absolutely right. And you, uh, you made the point about squeezing the last drop of potential out of a, out of a squad that essentially has... Uh, run its course perhaps if we if we can put it that way and i think the resolving those contract disputes or or at least having some clarity about where we're going and uh how the team is going to look for next season not just from the uh, the winter transfer window uh that's actually crucial to 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 having that so yeah i think there's to just to recap what you've you've said which i think is absolutely right there's there's Problems and challenges facing Mourinho at both ends of the age spectrum. The younger players having an opportunity and also those older players who are essentially having their last hurrah with us before uh, before possibly moving on, whether, whether that's this year or next. 
Yeah, time will certainly tell. Then, uh, as per the actual staff, we already have some names in. Uh, the assistant manager is Joe Sacramento, uh, brought in from Lille, um, alongside uh, Nuno Santos, who's going to be the goalkeeping coach. Um, per Sacramento, reached out to Andrew Gibney, who people may recall from our World Cup and, and France specials, um, as he is a Lille supporter. He said that he admittedly didn't know much about their assistant manager, that it's not really a thing that's focused on heavily in French football. But he linked me to somebody who mentioned that uh, he's doing some revolutionary stuff with um, kind of video reviewing and and video management, um, which is exciting. Uh, Also, a polyglot was picked out by Luis Campos uh, Mm -hmm. to join. And if people don't know Luis Campos, uh, have you heard of Mbappe, Pepe, Thomas Rodriguez, Anthony Martial, Fabinho, Bernardo Silva, or Benjamin Mendy? Because he discovered all of them. Um, so, of course, there are rumors about whether or not we will be able to bring him in. Reports starting to trickle that it's probably not happening now. I will say, because it's not happening now, does not mean it's not happening. It also doesn't mean it is. But I've seen people being like, oh, we aren't going to get him. And you're like, guys, it's literally been one day. Yeah. <laughs> just just pump those brakes. Could it be January, end of the year? When does his contract run out? I doubt many people have looked into any of those things. So just, I get it. He's a very high profile. And is probably the most sought after sporting director or director of football in world football right now. Plus, but, plus the natural fit, the natural fit with Mourinho. Right, and he said that he wants to work with Mourinho again, and that he'd even pick up the phone for whichever the next job was, which is why all of this is being kicked around. But we get two from Lille, no Luis Campos, at least not yet. Then uh, we bring in Giovanni Serra in the analysis team. We bring in Ricardo Formoschino. Sure, I didn't nail that. Um, into the scouting setup, of yeah, course, under Steve know. Hitchin. <laughs> um, so that's that's the new staff. We don't know much about them outside of Sacramento, who also we don't know loads about. Um, still hasn't been in the game particularly long. Still a young guy. Um, <laughs> but that's the team, obviously, departing Jesus Perez and, and the lot, um, who you know, we're always a team with Pochettino. He talked about how he takes them everywhere he goes, so no surprise that when he left, his people left. It is interesting that Josie didn't bring his old squad with Rui mm. Faria and uh, Aitor Karanka and, and that whole group. Um, <laughs> Jose Mourinho allegedly, in his pitch to Tottenham, said that in his 11 months off from football, he discovered and developed a new philosophy of how to handle things. A, do you buy that at all? And B, if so... <laughs> Do you think the hiring of this relatively young, forward-looking assistant mm. staff reflects that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm excited by the possibility of of you know if if Poch had to go at all, uh, then yes, let's not let's pull the pull the sticking plaster off all at once and essentially bring in. A new wave of coaching. I mean, how many times, though, Kev, have we heard whenever there's a management change at any club, this idea that, oh, we're bringing in a moneyball specialist, somebody who's <laughs> revolutionizing the uh, the way in which we, we prepare our players. Everybody <laughs> it's pre-written in the PR agreement. Then they just have to find the person. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, also, uh, you know, the, 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 the new uh, assistant manager is, has apparently done some work with the Welsh FA, which I wasn't he aware has, of. Yeah, was in the Welsh setup briefly. Yeah. So uh, yes, I'm optimistic. I mean, you know, obviously you let you let your new coach bring in uh, whoever he wants. You trust someone with the the, the who has the, the judgment that comes from the sort of career that 
Jose Mourinho has had in football. And uh, and you, but there's also, as we saw with Poch, there's also this emotional fit that how this group of players inspire, or the group of coaches inspires the players to work for them and with them, and and inspire this notion that it's a collective endeavor. And I think that's what any assist, any group of assistant coaches, that's where their important role is, is to actually put forward this notion that that we're all in the same boat and we're all rowing in the same direction. And if they can achieve that, uh, that's going to come down to how many of the current squad uh, want to want to work for them and with them and and get on board that boat. So I, it's it's hard to know yet. I mean, we often hear. I, you know, and this is sort of my final thought on on the the business aspect of it, and the you often hear that it's it, it, football is a results based business, obviously, and the important thing about that is that it's a business. So, you know, Mourinho's first challenge, obviously, is going to be to turn our form around, and, and you know, we're we're fourteenth in the table. We're not in a disastrous position, but we're a win off form, the top six, <laughs> right? Exactly. But that that just shows you how how stretched the table is at, at top and bottom at the moment. You know, we're, we're 14 points from 12 games is is woeful. And and if you exp- extend it out, I mean, 25 points from our last 24 games was just absolutely appalling away form. So we're, you know, that's going to have to be, that's going to have to be turned around with, with initially what is basically the same group of players. So that's a big, that's a big challenge. Uh, and so, you know, in that context, I think, uh, we we could both agree that probably what happened this week was uh, was probably inevitable, you know. But mm. let's wait and let's wait and see. Let's give him a chance. Um, let's mourn Potch and and the joy that he gave us and the the optimism and all of that, which we sort of deep in our minds uh, always expected would would come crashing down at some <laughs> point. Uh, but let let's see how. I'm uh, I'm optimistic uh, in terms of the team. Uh, I also uh, I'm optimistic that Mourinho has matured. <laughs> it's a terrible thing to say that you know someone 56 years old. You're waiting for them to mature, but uh, but let's see let's see if if he's moderated his ego in any way, shape, <laughs> or form, and whether that whether that has a positive effect on on the people whose careers he's now responsible for. Yeah. Not to damage uh, that optimism that you just mentioned, but I did want to ask a very <clears throat> pertinent and important question, which is basically this whole idea is predicated on if slash when Mourinho wins with us because he's won in one for every club he's been at since Porto. <clears throat> is if Pot- if Mourinho wins a trophy at Tottenham? Some people will claim that he was more successful at Tottenham than Pochettino, mm-hmm. just by the nature of the game, that a trophy is, is more than that. For me, I was asked on Twitter how I felt about Mourinho and the, the potential at winning trophies and what success means. And my point was, with Pochettino, it was fun to be a Spurs supporter. It was fun to watch. It was an enterprising brand of football. It was very exciting. But in the end, came to little. Technically nothing, but little. Sorry, the Audi Cup. <laughs> we out here. <laughs> With Mourinho, yeah. it will probably not be an invigorating brand of football to watch, but it could bring results, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. silverware and trophies. For you, do you view the success of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club 
being more sticking to its traditional identity or silverware now? Well, here's what I'll say. Uh, my son, who <laughs> is a friend of yours, as, as we both know, uh, was eight years old when I took him to Wembley to watch the 1999 Worthington Cup final where Alan Nielsen scored with a diving header right in front of us. And that was that was the game when uh, uh, Justin Edinburgh, God rest his soul, uh, was sent off for, for throwing a punch and missing at Robbie Savage. It was, a, it was an entertaining game, uh, but the problem was our manager that day was George Graham. And the fans couldn't bring themselves to, to chant George Graham's Blue and White Army. And so we ended up chanting Man in a Raincoat's Blue and White Army. And so there, there really is a sense, there's a mindset of to what extent do you judge success? On how do you judge success? How do you say, this is a club that I'm proud of because of the way we play? Or do you say, this is a club I'm proud of because we sell more replica shirts in Southeast Asia than any other team. And, you know, that is when you come down to the different criteria about how, how we understand and judge success. That's where in years to come, I think when people ask you about the Pochettino era, you'll say, well, okay, we, we, we didn't win any trophies, but I fell in love with my club again. And that's down to him. That was all down to him. Now, can Mourinho ever win over Spurs fans? As you know, I honestly don't know. Uh, we'll he'll try, as we saw in his introductory interview. Well, well, we'll it, it, he'll try. We'll see what the reaction is after, um, after you know, he, after he wins his first his first piece of silverware. And, and as you mentioned, it was interesting yesterday among all the all the reaction. Uh, to see the Tottenham Supporters Trust talking about this need to respect, you know, what they call the unique Tottenham Hotspur identity and its traditions. And and again, I think it'll come down to exactly how that concept of what we think of our club, how important is that for most fans and whether or not that in and of itself is enough. So I don't know. I mean, I think I think in terms of a bigger picture, I think we're, where we've got to with football, Kev, and, and you and I have had many conversations about this. I, you know, I, for example, I've always believed that money would, would destroy football or, or destroy our love for football. I've always believed that the, the ultimate effect of the Champions League, for example, in hiving off a group of ultra-rich teams in each of the European leagues who essentially get richer each year, that By being in it, you get richer for being rich. Well, that would eventually undermine the structure of the domestic game in each country. That's you know, I, I sort of thought that would be inevitable, and it's and what it's done is created a limited universe of those highest earning clubs where where top players just circulate around among them because they're the only teams that can afford them. So you know, is that good for the game as a whole? And well, that that depends whether or not you're a fan of one of those small number of clubs. Uh, we always said, you know, if we had ambitions to compete in the Champions League every year, then we need to have a manager who has been successful in the Champions League. And we can't deny that we have that such a person in place now. But it's when you think about Pochettino and his effect on the team, it on the team and the players and the and the supporters, it's nothing less than joy. You know, when we were playing well, 
that that translated into a love for the man, you know, a genuine love for the mm. man. And I, I feel like he, if he didn't love Tottenham, he certainly loved being the manager of Tottenham. Yeah. And it may have been both. <clears throat> and we will certainly not get love for Tottenham from Mourinho. I'm not saying he won't enjoy his time here. I'm not saying that he won't love being the manager. But I think right. it'll, it would be a very hard ask to ask him to actually love the club. No, I, I agree with that, especially given his background. But, uh, you know, and I, and I go back to, again, that final game at White Hart Lane after uh, we'd, we'd beat Manchester United and, and Potch walking out onto the, onto the field. And there was a rainbow over White Hart Lane mm-hmm. that night. And it was, you, you got a real sense that this was a love affair, a literally a, a love affair on both sides, that he was in love with the club and the fans and the, the team were in love with him. And, uh, and that's, you know, we've all had relationships that have gone bad, but uh, unfortunately that's, that's the one that I probably regret the most. <laughs> and you got to remember the good times. You do. It's the important thing. <clears throat> so uh, beautifully said by you, of course. And Pochettino will certainly be missed. Not much time to uh, think about it, though, with Mourinho coming in. And I just wanted to mention one more time, like we mentioned, that Pochettino was the perfect manager when we hired him. And <clears throat> Mourinho, controversial as he is, we haven't really talked about his ego much. You've, you've just name-checked it a couple times. But <clears throat> there is a lot of baggage that comes with Mourinho as your manager. But in looking up, well, reacting in general, but specifically looking up what to discuss for this show, I found something written by a Portuguese journalist about his title win at Porto all those years back. And this is what I alluded to earlier when I said everybody's talking about how he needs to modernize. Maybe, maybe that's what the assistant team is for, like we talked about earlier. But that I think he needs to go back to his roots. This is a quote about that title win at Porto. He managed to breathe life into the careers of so many players that were already somewhat past their peak or at their peak. It's an extremely tough task to absolutely revolutionize a player's style and form when they are no longer youngsters. If that quote or that mentality is why Mourinho has been hired, you have to respect that. And and literally, I, I obviously vacillated heavily on how I felt about this hiring. And that one quote from a long time ago from a Portuguese journalist from Mourinho's, like, what, seven or eight jobs ago now? Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a deep cut. Yeah, it's a deep pull, but that is exactly what Tottenham need. We got our youngsters to this point. Now we have players that are past their peak or at their peak. How do we get them past this? Yep. How do you get the most out of them? And if that Mourinho from two thousand three can in even an ounce of that represent how he behaves and manages our older players then this is probably the right hire. I couldn't agree more. I think that's that's a great quote, and uh, and that's the guy we have, so let's get behind him. Yeah, we'll see. West Ham, first match of the weekend. <laughs> uh, not too long to turn around here, but, it, you know, we're just we're going to have to give it time. I think it'll be hard for the fans to buy in the, the way they did with Pochettino. Because yeah. of his previous successes, success will likely be required and demanded by the fan base because we do not like him as much as we liked Pochettino. So he has to respond to that with success. Um, And time will tell, but he's the manager now. If he's the right one, we'll see. Yep. But again, if, if it's based off of that, then I think it's more likely that he'll succeed here in his own way than not. 
But anyway, Steve, it was an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Sorry, it was on such weird circumstances. One of the weirdest 24 hours of sports fandom I've ever gone through. I'm sure it was the same for you. If you'd like to tell folks where they could find you, where can they do that? And thanks again, Kevin, for having me on. It was great conversation. Thank you. I know we'd we'd exchanged a couple of text messages and tweets about, you know, can you believe what's going on? Uh, the answer it, was no. <laughs> uh, you know, just to get a chance to sit down and, and, and talk it through, especially the idea of uh, our memories of uh, of Potch and what a what a great thing he has done for our club. So uh, thanks again. Uh, my name is Steve McGookin. You can get me on Twitter, at Steve McGookin. Uh, I'm a former uh, uh, chairman of the New York Spurs uh, Supporters Club, uh, and you can follow them on Twitter at, at New York Spurs. And for some of my non-football or non-sporting work, uh, go to northernslant.com. So thanks, thanks again, Kev, and uh, let's see how we go. Yeah, time will certainly tell. I'm Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at KevRoff. Steve, thanks again so much for joining me. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 